our cancer journey. Hey, OCJ Tribe friends. On today's show, we'll be exploring traditional Chinese medicine, or TCM. We'll be speaking to Angela Lai, licensed oriental medicine practitioner and a lecturer and educator on this ancient art form of healing. Check out this clip from the show. Yes, usually that's when people come and see me because they've seen so many providers and they just can't get to the root cause of the problem. And then they'll come and say, I feel awful. All my labs look fantastic. Well, maybe not fantastic, but they look normal. And all the doctors I've been seeing, they can't figure it out. Why do I feel this way? That's where we go into looking at the whole body and seeing what is really the root cause of their problem. The Our Cancer Journey podcast is a place for those impacted by cancer, their caregivers, and their loved ones. Together, we explore ways that we can optimize our lives through the experiences of diagnosis and treatments and beyond into the future of survivorship. And now your host, Bruce Watkins. Greetings, everyone. This is Bruce Watkins, your host for the Our Cancer Journey podcast. This is the place where together we explore ways to help you feel better, live happier, expand your self-empowerment, and enhance your life experience. Thanks for joining us today. What a wonderful topic we're going to be covering, because for many people in the Western world, traditional Chinese medicine is this vague unknown. We see pictures about it, we hear things about it, but very few people have actually taken advantage of the kind of wonderful healing modalities that are involved in this ancient, deep practice. No one podcast, or two, or ten podcasts, could address the depth of TCM. However, we're going to start exploring this topic in this first of a two-part interview series with licensed oriental medicine practitioner Angela Lai. In this first episode, we're going to be exploring the history of Chinese medicine. We'll talk about some of the basic approaches and applications, and we'll also talk about the experience of people. But in the next episode, stay tuned and listen to that one, because like many people in the West, I had never received TCM treatments before. And in doing the research for this show, Angela suggested that I give acupuncture a try. So I did. And I did it live on the program. That's coming up in the second episode to this series. I hope you tune in and enjoy it. But first, let me tell you a little bit about our guest. Angela received her undergrad degree in chemistry from Pepperdine University in Malibu, California. She then worked at the Cardiac Electrophysiology Lab in Cedar sinai Medical Center in Los Angeles, where she collaborated with researchers from around the world to publish their collective findings. Continuing her education, she received her Master's of Science in Traditional Oriental Medicine from Pacific College of Oriental Medicine in San Diego. In 2005, she opened a clinic providing acupuncture and Chinese herbal medicine in Redondo Beach. After 15 years of being a small business owner and a healthcare practitioner in California, Angela accepted an opportunity to move to Cincinnati, Ohio, where she joined the UC Health Integrative Medicine team in 2020. Today, she's also licensed in Oriental Medicine in the state of Ohio, and she holds a Diplomat of Oriental Medicine Certificate from the National Certification Commission for Acupuncture and Oriental Medicine. She's a regular lecturer, 
and educator on TCM topics, and we're lucky to have her on the program. So let's jump right into the interview with Angela and learn more about TCM. Let's roll the tape. Angela Lai, welcome to the program. I am so excited you're here. I can't wait to talk about our topic today. Thank you, Bruce. I'm very happy to be here, too. You and I talked before our recording today. We just talked briefly about setting up the interview. And I mentioned to you that I have a real strong interest in traditional Chinese medicine. And you invited me to come down for a treatment, which I thought was fabulous. I don't often get a chance to actually experience somebody's craft personally before I interview them sometimes. So I have this whole different perception of how I'm going to interview and what we're going to do. But I have to tell you right out the beginning, it was a great experience. Thank you so much. Well, I'm so glad you were able to come down. It is very difficult to explain what I do uh, to people unless they experience it. Well, and it's funny because you said that to me when we were talking over the phone, when we first chatted. And I realized something because the concepts of traditional Chinese medicine are incredibly difficult. A lot of it makes sense. But it's not just a little difficult because, yeah, you may be using a few different terms, but also because people have a lot of preconceptions and fears about this, don't they? Yes, they do. You know, it's whatever they read or maybe they've been told by a friend. And the cultural differences makes a big difference. Well, I can understand that, too, because I think sometimes people have a bias towards what they know as opposed to something new. I call them barriers. So we'll talk about that a little bit more in the show. However, when I came in, I thought the way you opened the appointment and introduced the concepts about traditional Chinese medicine and especially what was going to happen that day in the program, it was really fabulous. I mean, the entire podcast could just be about your opening explanation of traditional Chinese medicine and acupuncture to people. But I thought a great place to start would be how you describe the difference between Western medicine and traditional Chinese medicine, I think you use the word allopathic and patterned. Could you give us a brief understanding of that? Okay, so allopathic is just a term that's used to describe Western medicine, or as we know it, or people will call it science-based medicine in the Western world. For TCM, or traditional Chinese medicine, it's a little different. So allopathic medicine, it's symptom-based, meaning if you have foot pain, you go and see your orthopedist. You have stomach issues, you see a gastroenterologist. So very, everything in your body is very compartmentalized. In TCM, we see the body as a whole. So it doesn't matter if you have stomach pains or you have foot pains or you have a headache. It may all be from the same cause, and we need to look at your body as a whole to figure it out. And that makes so much sense for those of us that are paying attention to our bodies when something's going wrong, because you'll have symptoms not only in one tiny localized place, but sometimes there'll be other things happening too. Maybe it's because of our cultural understandings of our bodies. You mentioned the word compartmentalize. Maybe it's because we have been trained to look at it that way because that's the way our medical providers have spoken to us. But I think many people have probably wondered, I wonder if this has something to do with this. Do you have people asking that kind of question? Yes. Usually that's when people come and see me because they've seen so many providers and they just can't get to the root cause of the problem. And then they'll come and say, I feel awful. All my labs look fantastic, or well, maybe not fantastic, but they look normal. And all the doctors I've been seeing, they can't figure it out. Why do I feel this way? 
So, and that's where we go into looking at the whole body as a one unit and seeing what is really the root cause of their problem. For clarity, I'd like to dive into this for a moment. Our audience primarily is a lot of folks that have either been impacted with cancer or caregivers and loved ones of folks. And they know that cancer patients sometimes have multiple symptoms happening at once in their body. If they're in a situation where they're a lung cancer patient and they're getting uh, radiation or chemo that's supposed to be targeting that, they're feeling all kinds of other issues. How do people come in and mention that to you? And how do you introduce to them that you're going to start to look at places they probably never thought would be an issue? So for those that have gone through chemo, they know that if it does affect their whole body. It doesn't matter if they have lung cancer and they're getting chemo, they have liver cancer and they're getting chemo. They're being injected with a lot of chemicals that go through their whole body, even though it is trying to target the cancer itself. And, you know, all that medicine is very toxic to the body and the body is reacting to it, which is why they're having so many symptoms. May it be hair loss, loss of appetite, uh, sores, uh, weight loss, neuropathy, whatever it is, it's the body's reaction to the toxins that's building up in the system. So we look at the system and say, how can we fix this? Not by undoing the medications, because we can never do that, but by building up the body, making it more efficient so that it can process the medication better and it can fortify the body, the healthy cells that needs to stay healthy for the body to recover. Now, what you just said, Angela, really impacted me when you said that. You started talking about the whole person health. Now, that's something here at the Our Cancer Journey podcast we believe in. We believe that if you are healthier then your experience through the cancer treatments and your body's ability to continue to heal and recover is improved exponentially. So when you talk about improving the body, let's take an example. If you can give me one particular kind of diagnosis where somebody would come in with, my pain is here, my cancer is here, this is what it is. And yet you start to look at other areas of the body that you might be able to affect and treat that can improve their overall experience and potentially the outcome of their treatment? I think the most general example, um, let's, let's go away a little bit from the cancer because when people hear cancer, they hear complications and it's, it's, it's a different type of reaction. So usually when I try to give an example, I use stress. We all know about stress where everybody is under stress or has stressors in their life. So one person can have stress and maybe they have digestive problems. Their stomach hurts, right? Or they have uh, bowel movement issues. Or another person can have insomnia. Their, their brain is just going, going, going because they have so much to think about. Another person may be irritable all the time. Or you may have all these symptoms every day, but in some form or another, uh, and you don't know why. And maybe you don't hone in that you're dealing with the stressor. So then you'll go to a gastroenterologist for the stomach problems, and there's really nothing wrong with your stomach, so they can't find anything. Maybe you go and say, I can't sleep, and you start taking sleeping medications. That's where the compartmentalized problem comes in, because now you're chasing the symptoms, but your real root cause of the problem is the stress. So once you deal with the stress, 
all those symptoms go away, which is the same thing as when you're treating cancer. Cancer is a symptom. It's your body telling you something is wrong. And then you introduce chemotherapy, radiation, which is completely fine and great treatments, but they also affect your body in a negative way. And you need to see where it's being affected so that you can build that system up and you can utilize the treatments that's necessary for you to get better. You know, Angela, you said something when you gave me your introduction speech, well, you know, when I came in for my treatment, you said that sometimes people see their diseases in the West, in our culture that you and I live in. They see that it's a highly localized thing. It's something completely isolated from the rest of the body. And then when you start talking about these more whole body, whole person treatments like TCM, there's this gap between them. And you gave an analogy, and I'm hoping you'll share it with us now. You talked about how Western medicine views cancer as cell mutation and something's going wrong, and TCM views that body balance and patterns, and there's things going wrong too. So they really aren't that far apart in their view of issues. Correct. Can you kind of elaborate on that a little bit? If, if you speak to elderly patients or older people in your family, when they were a little kid, they remember growing up going to one doctor who asked them about their diet, who asked them about their life, who asked them if they were happy. They looked at the whole body. And over time, for some reason, it has become more compartmentalized, more focused on each individual part and seeing specialists and not seeing the general practitioner. Not saying that the specialist is wrong, but that's how Western medicine used to be too. And there's people still around who remember that. So it's just evolved to what we have now, maybe good or bad. So in TCM, it, it hasn't changed in that way. We're still looking at the whole body. We're still looking at the root cause of the problem. And we still treat the person as a whole person instead of little pieces here and there. Right. <laughs> you crack me up because you use the word bonkers. Like things are going bonkers. So in Western medicine, they're going bonkers with cell division and the body's inability to, from an autoimmune perspective, fight those cancer cells and recognize them. And in traditional Chinese medicine, the different systems of the body get out of balance and things go bonkers there too. So I thought that was pretty funny, but it made a lot of sense. Yes. Bonkers, if you don't know, is a very scientific term. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's put it this way. The term bonkers communicates a lot more to a lot more people than some of the scientific terms I hear batted (laughs) around. So that's fantastic. Now, let's talk for a moment about the gut and digestion, because that was a big part of your conversation. Now, the concept of Chinese herbal medicine and traditional Chinese medicine that involves different types of products that you ingest or put on top of it. It's too big of a topic for us to cover in here. But can you give us a TCM perspective on the gut and how important that is? So the gut in or the digestive system in TCM is seen as a receptacle for food. It's to transport and transform food and energy and then get rid of the waste. So it is pivotal or it's the, the source of our health. Many people have written about gut health, and if you keep your gut healthy, that's where your health is going to anchor itself, and you will be healthy. So if you look at a lot of people with health issues, they tend to have a lot of digestive problems. But then in TCM, we also know that 
other organ systems can affect the digestive system. So we can't just only look at the digestive system. We have to look at the whole system. Angela, can you give us some examples of that? What's a different system in the body that could have a direct impact on gut health? Okay, Bruce, let me give you my fun story time uh, interpretation of what's going on, okay? <laughs> <laughs> okay, please, please do. Mary had a little gut. Okay, well, <laughs> go ahead. What, what is it? Right. So remember I said the whole body is a system. So we see there's different organs in the system in TCM. Uh, for example, the heart is called the emperor. Okay, no empress. I've, I've talked about that yet, but it's called the emperor. So in any kingdom, the if there's no emperor, then the kingdom falls apart. Then you're gone. Okay, just like us. If our heart isn't working, we're gone. So each organ system, because it is a whole body is considered a kingdom. It's a closed unit. It's us. Each organ system has its own uh, term. So the the liver is called the general like the police system of the old days. And the spleen and stomach system, which is the digestive system, is uh, is considered the farmers. So the general is to keep peace throughout the land, right? Make sure uh, there's no insurrections and make sure everybody's doing what they're supposed to be doing. But the general is a bully. So what do bullies do when they are stressed out? They tend to attack the weaker, smaller people, which are the farmers. The farmers are peace-loving people. They farm, right? So they take in food, they distribute the food, and they get rid of the waste. So when we are stressed, and each system has an emotion attached to it, the liver is very susceptible to stress. So when we are stressed out, may it be good stressors or bad stressors, it doesn't matter, the liver is affected. So in TCM, we call it liver attacking spleen and stomach. Is it physically attacking? No. Is it energy energetically attacking? That's what we will call it because we know that when you are stressed out, people have a lot of digestive problems. You never say, I'm stressed out, my big, my big toe hurts. It just does not work that way. So we call it liver attacking spleen and stomach, or the general attacking the farmers. Interesting. I love the story because that really tells you a little bit more about the weighting of how things work. How long has traditional Chinese medicine been around? About 5,000 years. So these stories really served multiple purposes over all those generations back before there, we had some of the scientific measurements that we have now. And we didn't have the communications we had now so that could communicate very clearly and distinctly to folks at all levels of education. Now, didn't you mention to me that even with the thousands of years of experience, these people that were initially investigating and researching this stuff, these were some pretty sophisticated folks that were going in and doing observations that were way ahead of Western medicine. Isn't that correct? Yes. Back then, the religion was different. It wasn't a christian center religion, so they didn't see the body as a holy vessel that can't be disturbed after you pass. So they were able to open the body up and do autopsies. You can see nerves, you can see bones, you can see tendons. I mean, they saw a lot of things, even without microscopes. And that's how they put the system together, just through basic observation, which is the foundation of any Western science research. Angela, I recall you telling me a story. It was about a particular emperor in China thousands of years ago who was the inspiration behind going out and finding out information that eventually became traditional Chinese medicine. 
that's a fun story, isn't it, Bruce? <laughs> yes, absolutely, Angela, because in this case, it's this one person who, through their curiosity and needs, as you pointed out, really inspired this entire form of healing that has lasted millennia. So can you please tell us that story? Emperor Wang is the person who came up with this concept because, you know, as an emperor, they don't work. They have minions, right? Which is why they have the lowly farmers. So he wanted to make sure that he was healthy, which means that his minions had to be healthy to be his minions and serve him. So he told his court doctors to go around to the country and write down and record everything they saw and heard of local medicine. So what did they use when you got a cold, when you had this disease, when you had that problem? So they compiled a book called Huangdi Neijing, which it translates over to Yellow Emperor's Classic. Huang means yellow, and it is still in print today. So he used that to educate everybody on different forms of treatments and illnesses and to keep everybody healthy. That sounds like such a sophisticated research thing, just like we do today. Right. It was a different time. It's a different culture. But people were still thinking the same, right? How do we solve this problem? They didn't have electricity and microscopes and fancy equipment, but they still had the same problems, illnesses and injuries that they had to solve and keep everybody as healthy as they could. Well, the power of just regular observation and recording data is really important. But what's interesting was, is when we were talking initially, you were just saying some best practices that you recommend to your patients and you recommend that they keep a journal. Yes, a journal for, especially for oncology patients is so vital. I know a lot of my patients, they come in, you know, they're just overwhelmed the minute they're diagnosed. They get hit with all the information from nurses, from doctors, the next steps to do while they're processing emotionally what they've been just diagnosed with. And, you know, when you, when you have so much on your mind, you can't hear what people are saying. You're just being shuffled through, and then before you know it, you're already three, four months into it, and you barely know what happened. And then you get the chemo brain from the medications, and that really messes you up. <laughs> no. Really? <laughs> Gets you all fuzzy, and then you really can't remember. So the best thing I tell people to do is start a little binder. Put all the information in there. Write a little journal of what you're thinking, what you want to ask your doctors. Keep track, you know, put the date on it. And then you can go back and say, oh, I forgot to ask this. Or oh, I now I remember my doctor told me this and this is what I'm supposed to do next. It really helps the patient stay on track, stay focused, and it helps with the stress because you know what's going to happen. Hey, Tribe Friends, it is Bruce, and I'm jumping into the show for just a moment with a special piece of news. The Our Cancer Journey podcast now has its own webpage. It's simple to find. The address is OurOurCancerJourney.com. That's OurCancerJourney.com. There you can find our current show and an archive of our past episodes. We have an about page where you can learn more about the program. And especially important, we have a contact page. We would love to hear from you. So please send us a note. Tell us what you think about the program. Give us any suggestions on topics you might want to hear. And if you know of any guests that you think would be intriguing, put that in the note as well. And also, you can sign up for our email newsletter. 
We won't spam you, promise. But go ahead and sign up if you can so you can stay up to date when new shows drop. We would love to stay in touch. So, OurCancerJourney.com, check us out there, as well as all of the major podcast apps. And now, back to the program. So, Angela, you know, when we talked, when I came in for my treatment, I let you know that I was having some digestive issues, and I was having some reactions to a couple of particular food groups that, interestingly enough, I didn't have those reactions a while back. So it was kind of weird, and I'm certainly not digging the effects on my body from it. And as I was telling you my strategies to dealing with it, which seems to now, I understand, this kind of the traditional West approach, you mentioned something to me that I thought was pretty profound. You talked about the Western approach, and then you talked about the TCM approach, and then you talked about the fact that our bodies are out of kilter, and that's the problem. So can you elaborate on that? Right, Bruce. What we talked about is very common for a lot of people. So what our body does is in each system, especially the digestive system, because it's so noticeable, is that when it becomes weak, it tends to push us away from its job. Like what you said, you know, you have digestive issues that you hadn't had when you were a child. Sometimes we are born with not enough enzymes or we're born with natural allergies. That's different. But if we're born healthy with a healthy system and as we abuse it, <laughs> and we tend to do that, right, then it starts to break down. So when it breaks down, then it will tell us, no, 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 we're not going to process this anymore. We're going to reject it. So I have a lot of patients who tell me that, especially going through chemo or radiation or surgery or anything like that. They'll say, you know, I get bloated now when I eat X, Y, and Z. I never did that. You know, so I'm going to stop eating that. And then instead of fixing it, right, because their body is telling them we are so weak, we cannot process this. So we're just going to reject it by giving you symptoms of bloating, of maybe diarrhea or constipation, any of those digestive signals. And that is your body signaling you that something is wrong. But we tend to say, well, I can't eat this anymore. I'm going to avoid. But that didn't fix the problem. So you have one avoided. And then you know, it just keeps getting weaker and weaker. Now you have more avoidance. Then you have another avoidance. I have patients who come in who only eat three different things every day because they never fix the problem. Angela, I know so many people like that. It doesn't seem right. That's right. That's what people do. So once you eliminate the harder to digest foods, your body stops giving those signals, but it hasn't healed itself. And then the next step is the not hard to digest foods start giving you problems. Then you may go and see a gastroenterologist. They run all these tests. You don't really have a digestive problem. Or maybe they see something little and maybe you'll go on anti-inflammatory medications. Or if the medications don't work and I've had people have their bowels resection because it just keeps getting more and more inflamed. So in TCM, instead of avoidance, we will start healing. Okay, if we can get your digestive system up and running, very robust, it can start processing the foods again. So you don't have the bloating. You don't have any of those symptoms. You can start reintroducing the same foods that you were avoiding before because your system is healthy and strong and can process what you're eating now. You know, Angela, I think what you said is absolutely fascinating because I was thinking about this after I left our appointment. 
it's like my society, our society. We tend to look at things that are happening like they're inevitable things. Like these are natural phenomena, like an earthquake. Like I can't eat this stuff. Therefore, that's the way it is. And then we go and just try to mitigate whatever that is. It's like nobody's ever told us to ask the question, I can't eat this stuff anymore. I wonder why. I was able to eat it. Why? What changed? I wonder if I can go fix that. We don't even ask ourselves that question. No, we don't. And the most common reason is I'm getting old, right? This is what happens when you get old. Absolutely. (laughs) I hear that all the time. Angela, you're... You're a lot younger than me, so I can I can attest from the aging population. Yeah, that is a cop out that we all use all day long. So. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> or you know, just sometimes when you go to your your MD, that's what they tell you too, right? Oh, this is uh, you know your hormones are not working, or this is this is just the aging aging process. Let's let's give you this medication to try to balance it out. But what they don't tell you is that the medicines most times don't heal. They're just substituting for something. So, you know, when you substitute for something, the origin of the problem is still deteriorating. So it's a great Band-Aid treatment. But if you can tap into your natural ability for your body to heal, because nobody is that old that is still not working, <laughs> that is not salvageable, right? That's good news for all of us. <laughs> right, right, right. That you can, you can get your body boosted up and start healing again on its own. Maybe it can't heal as fast as when you were 15, 16, but it can still do it. Well, and interestingly enough, I was cutting a jicama yesterday with a knife that unfortunately was a little bit dull. It ricocheted off the jicama and went right in my finger and gave me a really nice gash. I mean, yes. I'm talking, it was a, I look like Julia Child on Saturday Night Live. <laughs> and I'm sitting there and I'm going like, man, this is a really bad cut. Hurt like the Dickens. And I wrapped it up really tight. And I took the Band-Aid off today and I went to go change it. And the level of healing from just yesterday morning is phenomenal. And here I am, an older guy. If my finger can heal then different parts of my body could heal. Then my gut can heal. Right, right. And maybe from a TCM standpoint, folks with your knowledge, look at folks like me and maybe some of the folks in my audience going like, come on, you know, but I don't think some of the Western medical providers are like being lazy or irresponsible. Some of what they're saying has a degree of truth. When you get older or when a majority of people get older, these kind of experiences become a phenomena. They do experience them. So to say, oh, that happens when you get older, that's correct to a point. But once you start asking the follow-up questions of why is that happening? Is there anything we can do about that? What have other people done about it? I think I'm going to give this a shot. All of that stuff is something that could really help us. And it seems that we just hold back from asking those questions or turn over our entire medical care to somebody else to tell us what to do when there could be other solutions that may be beneficial for us. Yes, there's so many levels to what you just said. So one thing I would say is there's allopathic medicine, there's TCM. Both medicines have their advantages. So use those advantages to your benefit. 
allopathic medicine is very good for emergency medicine. You break your leg, you go to the ER, you get that help that you need. Don't come and see me. Okay. (laughs) Why not? (laughs) I got a, I got a compound fracture in my arm bone sticking out and you're going to put a needle in my ear and say, come back. Right. Don't do that. (laughs) Okay. But after you've been, you know, they put the cast on you, they stop the bleeding. You want to start healing you come and see me right away and we start that process for you. So that's what TCM is really good for. Remember, Emperor Wong went out and collected data so that his people will not get sick. He didn't go and collect the data to say when you are sick. He tried to collect data to say when you are healthy, let's keep you healthy because you need to work for me. So it's a different concept. So that's one point from what you were saying and also it's maybe it's a cultural thing that you know everybody wants something immediate what can i do now just like weight loss right somebody who's 50 pounds overweight i'm going to try this fad diet and uh oh no it's not working in 2 weeks forget it I'm, it's never going to work and your body like you were saying you know it took 24 hours for that bandaid for you to put that bandaid on and to look at it but it worked your body knows what to do. And for people to be very ill, it it's not overnight. It takes years, years for somebody to be ill like that. And have we been ignoring the symptoms? Of course we have. I can't sleep. Oh, well, you know, I'll just make it up tomorrow. Uh, I'm feeling tired. It's probably because I stayed up all night. But uh, yeah, I'll just deal with that. I can work 50 hours a week and, you know, McDonald's tomorrow and the next day. So it's over time. And if you took you 40 years to get to where you are, four weeks is not going to change it. But we can start turning the bus around and heading in the right direction. Man, I love that. I love that because not only is it true. I mean, let's just cut right to the chase. It's true. It's going to take time to heal. And these people that come in and just want a magic pill are almost always radically disappointed. And then they fill themselves up with more stress and then they can't fathom why they're having these issues. But when you talk about the fact that it takes time to recover, it seems that the body can regenerate itself at a faster speed maybe than it took us to slowly decline because it was fighting all the way down, right? I mean, the body is just focused on healing 24-7, correct? Correct. It's always healing. And it wants to survive. That's what it wants to do, and we're impeding that process. So, Angela, when you were talking about gut health, you were talking about the stomach and the intestines, the entire gut digestive system, being a receptacle for the food, like the farmer. But I know you mentioned that it's kind of like a cauldron and it cooks. And one of the things that occurred to me was that if we don't get it right going in, our digestive system doesn't have a lot of options. You gave an example of boiling water and that food has to cook at a certain temperature. And when you put food in, the water drops in temperature and you've got all these ways to mitigate that and fix it. But we don't have that in the gut. We got to approach our food intake and gut health in a particular way to really optimize how our digestive system works. Could you elaborate on that a little bit? Right. So in TCM, the digestive system or the stomach specifically is called a cauldron. It's a pot of boiling water. So that boiling water needs to be boiling at all times to digest food. That's why it's more optimal to eat 
warm foods or already pre-cooked foods instead of raw foods and cold foods. Because if you cook at all, you know if you have a pile of boiling water on the stove and you put raw veggies in, it stops boiling, right? And the only way to get it to boil again is to either turn up the little dial on the stove or you wait. There's no dial on your stomach to turn it up and it won't let you wait for hours for it to kind of start cooking again. And you do that over time, then you start to break down the system. And what's the biggest complaint Americans have when they travel? If they do eat outside of America, people who travel, they know this. Americans complain that when they travel anywhere around the world, that there's no ice. We are the only country that puts ice in everything. Everything is cold. If you travel anywhere, they complain there's warm beer. Why do you have warm beer? You know, even alcohol in other countries are warm or room temperature. What do these older countries know that Americans don't? That this is a concept that's its oldest time because you digest better when you have warmer foods, when you're pre-digesting something for your system. And that made perfect sense to me. And I'll tell you why, because isn't it true? Okay, wait, 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 stop. My stomach just growled. <laughs> Picked it up on the mic. We're talking about food. You know, that made perfect sense, Angela. And what occurred to me when you were saying that is that unlike when we're standing in front of the stove and we could turn up the gas, take the temperature of that pot up by 150 degrees to get that water boiling right away, or we can wait around for an hour until it finally comes to boiling, food passes through our digestive system at a particular speed, right? Stuff can't stay in the stomach for another 25 minutes. The stomach has a process it does, and it's moving it through there at a rate of speed that's appropriate for the entire system to function. So we don't have the knob on the refrigerator to turn our body up by 100 degrees to cook that food faster. We can't let it hang around and wait. That could make that stomach and the rest of our intestines sick. So we really do have to get this right. Correct? Right. And it will tell you when it's not right. We've all eaten something that's bad and how fast does it go through our system? Our body will reject it in seconds flat. So it's always talking to us. It's always giving us signals and we have to listen. And then there's all these people that talk about eating certain foods cooked certain ways. You're not saying that we have to eat everything cooked, that all cold foods are now off the table. You're just asking people to do an inventory of what they're doing and see if we're doing the American thing and eating a lot of cold foods. I mean, there's probably college students out there listening right now looking at that pizza in that box from three days ago when they were hungover, <laughs> you know, going like, that looks good for breakfast today. <laughs> part of, that's part of the breaking down process we just spoke about, didn't we? <laughs> well, well, I'm trying to avoid talking about bourbon because uh, you know, I'm hoping you can just put a needle in somewhere and it'll all be good there. <laughs> that's the one food group I'm having trouble uh, avoiding, but now I don't have to avoid it. I'm joking. <laughs> yes, I was joking. And on that silly note, we're going to conclude part one of the interview with Angela Lai about traditional Chinese medicine. Be sure to stay tuned to part two of this interview, where not only will we talk about acupuncture, but I will get acupuncture performed on me live on the program. After that, we'll hang out with Angela and talk more about the experiences of people while they're getting this treatment and also learn things about the body that were fascinating. So listen into that. And the best way to do that 
is to subscribe on your local podcast app or visit www.ourcancerjourney.com. That's our official website. That's ourcancerjourney.com. Or visit our Facebook page at Our Cancer Journey Podcast. We want to keep you up to date on new shows and let you know when things drop. And before we conclude, I want to remind you of this. It's fine for you to take a moment and a break from cancer. To get together with friends or listen to podcasts like this. To consider new ideas and get some inspirations on doing things that could help you. And to always believe that we can improve our life in any circumstances, including this one. Because this is our cancer journey. This episode of the Our Cancer Journey podcast is sponsored and produced by Fairlead Media. All rights reserved.